Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Doing very good. Much better than last week, actually. Um, it was a bit grim last week. Um, I was worried summer was ending, but I think we've got we've managed to squeeze another week out of summer. So that's good. very good. Um, I'm glad to hear it. It'll be interesting to know when this episode actually releases. <laughs> Pouring with rain again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've got the festival in Edinburgh as well at the moment. Probably will have ended by the time this episode goes out. Um, mm-hmm. But we had a year without the festival, and actually, it's 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 back on to a limited degree. Um, far less busy than it usually is, but it's still mm. like quite a shock going anywhere near town because um, it's just suddenly rammed with tourists and there's suddenly people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yes, no, no, enjoying it. Yeah, I was actually compelled to go on the tube for the first time in You're really quite a long time. Compelled to? Oh yeah, I had had to take the tube to get somewhere. Okay, right. And I thought, you know, oh, well. A lot of people are vaccinated now. It should be all right. And I got on the tube. It was very busy. It was a Friday. And I'm not joking. The first thing someone said next to me, a woman said, we're all going to die. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying what we're all feeling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She wasn't wearing a mask. So, yeah. Carrying like a tube of Ebola or something like that. (laughs) Welcome back to the tube. The sort of joyless... Yeah, hell journeys through London. Wow. Well, that sounds like a pleasant experience. Yeah, it was very pleasant. It was very pleasant. It set me up nicely for recording today. (laughs) Uh, What are we talking about today, Peter? Well, I've posed posed a question in our show notes. I I sent you a few, what did I call them? Peter's provocative titles. Yeah. (laughs) No, maybe propositions for the full alliteration. This was maybe the least provocative, um, but Mm. the question I asked... Uh, was what order should we take our turns in, and does it even matter who the lead investigator is? Mm, yeah. So there's a sort of t- two-handed thing there, isn't there? That our turn order and lead investigator even the same thing? Well, quite. Yeah. There's there's almost I think some of the same considerations probably apply to them both, right? Mm-hmm. But they are different, and I must admit it's it's something. I have thought about, it's almost intuitive when I'm playing the game, but I've Mm. never spent the time to interrogate why I make the decisions I make during the game. Mm. Yeah. Do do you get what I'm trying to say? Let's spend that time now. Well, exactly. Let's unpack some of the thinking that goes into it. When we've done this in the past, I think it's it's been quite a productive episode or quite an enjoyable Mm. episode to do. So yeah, I'm excited to dive into it, actually. And no pressure. Yeah, yeah. Give me some answers. <laughs> Five minutes later, the episode's over. <laughs> well, that was useless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then again, you know, even if even if there is no solid answer comes out of it, I think it's still interesting to consider why that's the case. Right? Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, Good. I think so too. I think that was well, you know, like you, our solo and multiplayer episode. That was part of it. Are they really different? Maybe they're not. Maybe they are. Let's find out. Maybe talking about it will be worthwhile. <laughs> Hollywood stars and celebs, what do they know? <laughs> yeah. Let's find out. So a common misconception is that the lead investigator goes first in every phase of the round in Arkham Horror, the card game. But importantly, the lead investigator actually only goes first in two of the four phases, which is Mythos phase. They're the first to draw their encounter card. 
and enemy phase, they're the first to get hit by their enemies because enemies attack in player order. So that's the first thing to note. When it comes to actually investigation phase, when we get to pick our turns, what order should we take them in? The lead investigator immediately doesn't matter. The lead investigator can go last every turn of the round, every round of the game. Every turn of every round of the game, the lead investigator can go last and it doesn't matter. Um, so there's your question answered, Peter. Does it even matter who lead investigator is? Not for the turn structure, really. No. For for the yeah, for the turn, not the round structure. So we, we decide at the beginning of every investigation phase, we decide. In fact, mm. you decide who goes first and then subsequently decide after that turn who takes the next turn. Yes. Yeah, you don't even need to declare up front. Exactly, yeah. So it's it's a very reactive system. And I think that might come into play in our discussion on turn order. Mm-hmm. So, so let's let's make a distinction then. We've got player order, which is... Uh, a, a, a fully defined thing in the rules of the game, which is an order that starts from the the lead investigator and proceeds around the table to the left of the lead investigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've also got turn order, which is I don't know whether that's a, like a defined rules term anywhere. But mm, no, we'll, I don't think so. We'll use that to mean the play the order in which the players take their turns. Yeah. Well, okay. Investigation turns, phase. Yeah. Perfect. Defined. So I think we should start with turn order because it feels like there's more there. Yeah, that's fine with me. Well, that's partly because of the way you phrased your question. What order should we take our turns in? And does it even matter who lead investigator is? Yeah, let's do turn order first. Yeah, bro. Okay. So as I say, I I think there's almost an element of uh, intuition here that it sometimes it feels like the obvious. There's obvious like we need to make sure we do this before we can do this kind of thing. Like, this player needs to explore or reveal this location or fight this enemy before we can do anything else as a team. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. they need to go first. Yeah. The the straightaway most obvious one, I think, is you're playing two-player, your clue-getter draws an enemy in Mythos, mm-hmm. and you now are around to investigation phase. You've got a fighter and a clue-getter. Who goes first? And the clue-getter is saying, can you deal with this enemy, please? And that normally means <laughs> that the fighter is going first. Yes, even just to engage the enemy off you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or they say there's a massive enemy at your location. Sure, someone needs to fight or evade before anyone else can do anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So straight away, I think enemies impact turn order considerably. As soon as an enemy arrives, all the players are going to be affected by that enemy until someone's dealt with it. And so that normally means that dealing with it goes right up the priority list. Yeah, this is high priority. We deal with this in some way. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned priority there, because mm. almost what I, I, we we did some very brief notes before we started, and to me, one of the things was this idea of of a kind of certainty scale. So, do you do the actions which are? Can I do a patented Peter comparison to a totally different game? Oh, please do. Yeah, it's one you're going to love, Frank. <laughs> How do you decide the order in which you? do stuff in famous uh, fantasy football game, Blood Bowl. Yeah, great comparison, yeah. Because in that game, I think your your use of the word priority is absolutely spot on. Now, now, very briefly, for anyone who doesn't know Blood Bowl, the, the few listeners um, who don't know what Blood Bowl is, when you, basically when you fail an action, I mean, it's, it's only applies to some actions, but when you fail an action, 
that's the end of your turn. Is that a fair summary for someone without yeah. having to explain the full rules of Blood Bowl? Yeah. So, so what you do is you do things which don't have a chance of failure. You do your higher priority stuff first, but there's this tension of what's my priority versus what's the risk of doing it. If yeah. I've got something which is very important, but is also quite likely to fail, and something slightly less important, but much more likely to succeed, I might actually switch those around. It's actually yeah. one of the main skills in playing the game, really. Yeah. But yeah. We, we're not quite in that same situation here where actually we might want to be able to react to failure of early, of, of high priority actions later mm. on in the turn, right? Yes, we might want to, yeah. So yeah. say you, your fighter has an enemy on them and they're like, well, I can, I can kill this enemy and then spend an action doing this, which will save you from having to do it. Mm-hmm. Then the fighter takes their turn at the end of the round and draws three t- three order fails on their attacks mm. and doesn't deal with the enemy. the enemy. I think that's that's really true and really apt, and the comparison's a really good one because what it raises for me, you know, in Blood Bowl, if you take that gamble test as the first thing you do, you miss out on your entire turn if it fails. Yes, and that means every every one of your players doesn't get to move, doesn't get to pass the ball, whatever it is, you lose everything. And I suppose the Arkham equivalent is like you say, do we kill this enemy right now and move on? Well, the other example I thought of is, imagine you've got a situation where you need one more clue to advance. So your your clue finder, your seeker says, well, first action, I'm going to get the clue and then we'll advance the act and we can move on. Yes. And they they fail to do that for all three of their tests for whatever reason it is. Yeah you then can't advance and you've maybe got two players who are saying, oh, when we advanced, we've got all of these other locations into play. We could have could have done things. We could have got away from that enemy and you failed to do it. And weighing up, should the seeker have gone first? Should, should you have found other things to do and done that last? Yeah, I think all of that's in the mix here. And I think there's also an element of when we attempt things in the, in the turn structure. So do we... I mean, here's an example from from playing that I, I complained to you very loudly about was mm. ending up an exploration into an, into a location which had loads of enemies, but then mm. where no one could, was able to help me, no one had enough actions to help me in that location, mm. and it was just a horrible, horrible game from that point onwards. Yeah, that was Snake Pit was for snake listeners pit. who want to know. I really pit. want pull peter back to that experience yeah so you explore into snake bit you spawn three snakes in three or four player and then you suddenly need three actions to deal with them or you need other people to be able to get in and obviously you've explored away from everyone else so it's you add an action to each person who wants to move in to help yeah and it's yeah hugely time consuming and and knowing that at that point you're able to say well i need to structure this in the player order so that, uh, sorry, in, in this, ah, I, I made the mistake in the turn order, mm-hmm. so that the other players have enough of their turns to be able to help me in this situation. And actually, look at how many actions it takes if you explore into Snake Pit with your last action. Mm-hmm. So player one explores in and gets three snakes on them. For player two to help, they have to spend a move action, an engage action, and an evade action. That's their entire turn. Yep. Then player three, if they want to help, needs yeah. to move, engage, kill, or whatever it is. So unless you have some kind of evade compression or 
Tesla's damage or you're ha- you know happy to get the vengeance from the snakes, you're essentially costing the other three players entire turns to dig the first player out of that problem in the snake pit. If if your top goal is that this person doesn't get poisoned, yes. or you're saying, right, wow, actually we're not going to spend nine actions to stop one person get poisoned, you can just take three damage and get poisoned and we'll, we'll not sacrifice our entire turns for that. Yeah. It's a huge swing for actions. It is, it is. But I think it maybe illustrates the point that you've got to consider the full ramifications of that action before you go ahead and do it. Mm. And then plan that in to the rest of the team's actions or the rest of the team's turns. Yeah. Listeners to Think on Your Feet will hear how much I deliberate in the current Think on Your Feet, Solo Mateo, about last action explore, particularly with Return to Forgotten Age, where there can be enemies in the explore deck. It's almost always never worth exploring last action. Yeah. Yeah. Because drawing an enemy and it hitting you. you know is is dreadful if i was playing two player there'd be scope for us to actually discuss well i i can actually explore last action here because you haven't taken your turn yet and if you don't have anything good you really need to do for your turn you could bail me out of any problems i get into i don't think i still think it wouldn't be a great idea to do it but there's a there's at least a bit of leeway for sort of mitigating the surprises of exploration yeah, yeah, and absolutely. At the top of my list on turn order, I've put a bullet point exploration. And I meant that both the literal exploration in The Forgotten Age, but also more generally, for me, one of the things I think that the, um, helps determine what order we should take our turns is who is going to go exploring and open up new locations and who's best able to cope with what happens. Yeah. If they reveal a location that spawns an enemy or that makes them take a test for moving in there. Recently in Lair of Dagon, working out who is it who goes into the actual lair because they get made to take a test and failing the test could contribute to waking Dagon becomes really important. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, Normally you might say, oh, my seeker is the one who does all the exploring because they need to find new, collation, new locations and get the clues there. But actually you might want a high willpower character to be the one who first enters the lair, which is thematically amazing, isn't it? That it's this terrifying experience and you need someone who can resist how scary it is. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. I was I was almost going to come back to, I think, what I said earlier about the, this, this, this concept of uncertainty. Mm. Kind of feels to me like you could, you could have a gradient of a combination of uncertainty and priority. Like... I, I think we've discussed there's probably times where there's a very clear decision and it's easy to make the decision in that in, at that point, right? So if, yeah. if, if you if you obviously need someone to kill an enemy before you, the other player can do something, like, yes, you know, the, the fighter goes, engages and kills the enemy. But otherwise, it almost feels better to take on the actions which are going to have more complications and less certain earlier in the turn and then flow down towards the more straightforward, simple actions later on. Mm. And and what mm. I think practically how I play when I'm in a group will often be someone will have a simple turn and say, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'll just take my turn. And then mm. they'll play three assets or whatever. Yeah. And that feels like a turn, like, yes, they're set up. That's, that's you know, if other people are doing stuff, that's great. But actually, 
it's probably not the best way from a strictly optimized point of view to, to have our turns going. Even if someone knows exactly what they're going to do, having those actions is always better to be able to help someone else out of a, out of a jam they're in. Yeah. Uh, if, if something they're doing goes wrong. Yeah. Even if, say, the other two characters move off and do some things, maybe find an enemy, but they don't need immediate help, it might be that the person whose turn was just going to be play three assets, their turn needs to adapt into play two assets and move to keep up. There might be some reason to keep the party together or whatever it is. And if they've already taken their turn and they're just playing three assets, you've also then split the split the party, which might not be good. So yeah, I, I, I think I completely agree. I think there's something for me as well, like drawing a card might be a quite interesting illustration here for turn order. If I'm going to draw a card on my turn, the conventional logic is the earlier in the turn I do it, the better. Because if I draw a weakness from my deck, I can deal with that. If it draws me into things that maybe would change how I'm going to spend the rest of my actions, that's good. So I suppose what it illustrates is there's uncertainty. What do I get from my deck? And that should push it up the priority list for me about this is something I should do earlier if I can. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that out as an additional thing, I think. Yeah, no, no, I think that's 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 uh, that's good to think about. I mean, you've reminded me mm. of a time when I think I drew a card last action or something as min, or, or it was off a second last action, I think off a skill card, and then I drew overzealous and then drew two enemies. Mm. Uh, and then ruined everyone's day as a result. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, we could get to this quite oppressive way of playing that you've calculated each investigator how many cards they might draw in a turn and said well i need to take my turn before you because my weakness might do this that or the other mm-hmm. I, I mean i'm sure some players do play like that and enjoy playing like that i think broadly speaking for me weaknesses have become a low level hum of normally the way i play in general means i should be okay to handle that thing and i'm try not to you know draw last action and draw myself into a weakness rather than necessarily adding it as a sort of active ingredient in discussing turn order do you know do you know what i mean yeah yeah we do in in my three player campaign at the moment we do have one character who has narcolepsy and so because that means if they draw cards their turn might suddenly end and they might need someone else to come and wake them up that really features quite highly in our discussions about who goes and what they do because we often want to make sure we've got someone spare to help that person out or if they've drawn narcolepsy in upkeep, that's really going to dictate turn order the following turn because they're going to say, please, can someone go before me and spend an action to wake me up so that I get my three actions? Which I think is, yeah, it's a really nice shake up around, I suppose it's a really high priority action, isn't it? You know, do this first, please. Incidentally, I do. <laughs> it is a lovely twist when then the person with narcolepsy gets like a ping of damage in the mythos phase. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Yay, you've taken some damage!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that's that's a very interesting chat about turn order. Do, uh, do you want to add anything else, Frank? I think we can maybe summarise where we got to mm-hmm. there. I think it's typical for one of these episodes. We feel like we sort of ramble for a bit and don't know whether we make any good conclusions. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd throw in a couple of other sort of smaller elements, and maybe then we do the summary. Yeah, please, please. So Innsmouth added bless and curse. And this is something else I've noticed oh, in playing yeah. in a Bless or Curse group, 
one of the things that gets shaken up in terms of priority is who's taking tests and who's adding bless and curse. Mm-hmm. So that person you described who's just playing assets or or events, if you're playing an event that's going to add curse to the bag, do you go right down the bottom of the priority so those curses aren't in the way to affect other people's tests? Or also do you go way up in the priority because they want to see curses mm-hmm. for what they want to do? And Deciding that can be interesting. We find in our three-player group, if we've just put the effort in to fill the bag with curses, we'll try and make Jackie, who's using curse a lot, take her turns earlier and see those curses because she wants to. And then the bag is a little bit better for everyone else. We try and avoid someone putting four curses in the bag and then their final action take a test. You can normally switch those around so you don't do that. So Bless and Curse added a really nice wrinkle to turn order that it's not it's not a major one you can work your way around it pretty easily but i think it's just returning to our bless and curse episodes it it has had an impact across so many elements of the game that aren't simply bag maths which i think is great yeah yeah and then i mentioned about trying to advance early and kind of keeping the eye on the prize i think that's the other thing i'd add for turn order if you know ideally you advance right at the start of the investigation phase anyway if if you're able to but also if you think we can advance after an action or two if this person goes first normally i would say that that's quite a high priority thing i don't know about you yeah i i would say it's always better than doing it last action right yeah because you're you're and i've made this uh well Sometimes it is. There's very rare occasions where it isn't. <laughs> there are those occasions do happen, um, and mm. then I guess the only real way around it is a bit of scenario knowledge, yeah. um, which is just the way things are sometimes. But mm. generally speaking, yes, tend to agree. And I've made this as a note for our um, our player order discussion, which we'll move on to in a second. Which is information is power. Mm. Having more information. Mm being more aware of what's going to happen allows you to make better decisions mm. always mm-hmm. yeah strictly better it's not never going to be worse yeah if you don't have that information because you're face checking a campaign face checking a particular scenario that's where you do pick well who's the best to go blundering into new locations and handle what they throw at us and you know, maybe it's the rogue with lots of actions, or maybe it's the the survivor who can take the hits and has their leather coats and keepsakes down, that sort of thing. You maybe prioritise also the people with the less important actions. You know, yeah. if you've got a party with a, a guardian who needs to fight, a seeker who needs to clue, and then a flex character, the flex character might find themselves going up in the priority because their actions matter less and being a bit wary no, about no, all no. Of this. I, I think yeah. this, this this is a really interesting point actually and it, it's come up recently when we've been playing we ended up in a scenario where uh well we were playing we played doom of the etsley um mm. uh, in fact we played doom of the etsley and jim ended up doing a lot of the action locations um is it the ancient halls that comes in with the, the doom that you can turn to clues Yes, yeah. So, right. in fact, I think Jim spent a whole turn flipping those over, um, and yeah. a couple of other actions. So, you know, there's like the map room, and then there's the, the the throne room where you can find the scepter. So, those actions are kind of less important 
in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, they're mm-hmm. more. Uh, there's, I'm sure there's a good word to describe like fungible or something like that, <laughs> <laughs> um, which describes that those actions can be done by anyone, but they should be done by the investigator who's got the least pressure on what they can do. Mm. Uh, and potentially at the time of the turn where there's the least pressure. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. I think if, if you've got a hybrid character or like a, a kind of a, um, a, just like a jack-of-all-trades character, it's not specialised like the other characters, mm-hmm. uh, maybe you need to be prepared to be able to fill in that role on a team to allow the other characters to apply their specialisms to the game more efficiently. Mm. Yeah, that's really nice. And I think the the other thing I've noticed is if you get too much tunnel vision on a person who has a specialism must do that specialism each turn, that can also lead you to little blind alleys and turn order. So I'm thinking if you've got a specialist evader and someone draws an enemy, that specialist evader doesn't need to be the one who moves, engages and evades. If you can pull off that evade yourself with something in your deck, it might be a little bit higher risk. So maybe you go higher in the turn order, but you can get sort of, I mean, we're moving more now into sort of gameplay tactics, aren't we? But you you can get too bogged down with the fighter sprinting across the map to fight with some enemy that they don't need to do that with just by thinking, well, hang on, you know, or or for the narcoleptic character, maybe the best play is to leave the narcoleptic character asleep for a turn because the three actions they would gain from being woken up aren't as valuable as the, the other actions across the team. Sorry, Ben. We're leaving you asleep next time we play. <laughs> interesting. I think that's a really interesting topic because it... Man, did we talk about this... Did we mention this in the solo versus multiplayer episode? You sort of consider the team as like one player with like yeah a 30-eye size deck <laughs> who had like three-eye actions for the turn. It's yeah. kind of like that, yeah. you know? You've got mm. like the, the resources of the whole team to play with. And you need to consider mm. how best to apply them. Yeah, totally, totally. I was just going to say, I've just played Wages of Sin, which is a really good example of a scenario where turn order can really matter. Yes. Because as you deal with heretics, whether by peeking at them or killing them or attacking them with spectral web, what happens when they flip can be really important. Yeah. yeah. But also, you can spend clues from any investigator at your location to use the spectral web attacks. Yeah which means you might find yourself in a situation where the person who's at a location with a heretic is ready to go, but they need someone to go before them to arrive with the clues. Yeah. And obviously, ideally, you'd have the clues and they could kill the heretic as the first turn because then the rest of the team can respond to, oh, we need to get to this location or whatever it is. But you might find that your clue carrier is on the way, your clue mule, and it leads to some really knotty decision-making and... Often when we were playing, it felt like every turn there wasn't an optimal turn order. There was about, if we take this this order, we're going to run into this challenge about halfway through the turn. If we take this order, we're going to run into this challenge. Which one are we going to gamble on? You know, maybe it's last action killing an enemy or whatever it is. It was really enjoyable. Fascinating. So I think you wanted to move us on. Yeah, yeah. If that's okay, I'd, I'd love to talk about player order as well. Mm. and see if there's any commonalities or any differences. Yeah, so player order, apart, there's two things, aren't there, as we mentioned at the start. There's who the lead investigator is, and then 
which places you sit at at the table. Yes. <laughs> and that's and that's it. And when we play three-player, my three-player group, if we decide we're going to go anti-clockwise rather than clockwise drawing cards, rather than just move seats to make sure we're in the order we want, we just say we're going the other way around. Right. And that's fine. But when I was trying to write notes about what affects lead investigator, I was I was wondering if if you were to plot this on a graph over the time of the timeline of Arkham and the importance of lead investigator, I wonder if the graph is just a gradual declining line. You know, lead investigator felt really important in the gathering is what I'm trying to say. You know, first agenda flip, lead investigator has to take two horror or everyone discards a card. Um, You spawn a ghoul on the lead investigator. It was like, wow, lead investigator really matters. If they burn down their house, they take a trauma. All of these things that really meant you had to choose lead investigator carefully. And as the game's gone on, I think that's mattered less and less. Would you agree with that? No, I don't think I do. Okay. <laughs> I, Go I think, on then. I think effects like that pop up all the way through. We've just been playing the Forgotten Age or Return to Forgotten Age. There's a f- mm. quite a few bits and bobs which hasn't the lead investigator has an impact on things appearing at lead investigator's location, decisions the lead investigator has to make. Mm. Now, remind me if I'm wrong here. Does the lead investigator break ties as well in terms of? I'm sure it comes down to the lead investigator if you need to make a decision kind of as a group to have the final say. Is that in the rules? The lead investigator is sometimes required to make important scenario decisions. At the beginning of a scenario, the investigators choose a lead, and if you can't choose, no, you can't agree, they're chosen at random. If there are ever multiple valid options for a choice or decision that must be made, for example, a hunter enemy that can move to two, di- two different directions, the lead investigator is the final arbiter in choosing among these options. So, I mean, one would hope that you were able to come to agreement as a team anyway. Um, <laughs> That's but... what you took out of that, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I think it's still important. Well, let me rephrase then. I think the impact of those decisions is less mechanically significant. I'm trying to avoid saying the word impact twice here. You know, yes, there are times when the lead investigator is asked to do something. I've played Heart of the Elders recently that says the lead investigator needs to choose an investigator. That investigator checks their supplies. If they have binoculars, this happens sort of thing. So yes, the lead investigator is playing a role there. But that impact actually, you could just say pick an investigator. You could avoid saying lead investigator. And the the person you've chosen as lead investigator doesn't really have an impact on whether or not you have binoculars and you just pick that person. I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like you're not ending up with a trauma there, or if you are ending up with a trauma, even though it might be the lead investigator who's chosen that person in actual fact, it's the fact that you didn't choose binoculars that matters. And to be honest with you, if there are the other thing I thought of when you said you didn't agree was, of course I play solo. So I'm always the lead investigator. So I I just kind of gloss over it and I don't, you know, pass the card to someone else and say, Oh, you've got a decision to make here often because I, I, it doesn't matter. I just pick. So maybe there's also something that for me, I've got a slight uh, blind spot there that I sort of don't pay attention. But but yeah, um, I take your point that there are things that call out lead investigator. Yeah, and I, I take your point as well that potentially there's there's less impact to who you pick to be the, the lead investigator. 
Mm. Now, now that's from a narrative point of view, I guess, or, or from a kind of a, a campaign structure point of view. Yeah. Um, and actually, what I'll also add is that there's not much... What's the phrase I'm looking for? How should I word this? If you don't know the campaign, that choice is almost arbitrary. Mm. Um, in fact, we have a, a house rule, which is that the person with the least experience of the campaign is... We then tend to pick as the lead investigator. Yeah. So I'll get that out up front. <laughs> we actually don't really make any kind of mechanical, take into any mechanical judgments in the play for this. Yeah. Except in very rare situations where there's a, we have some foreknowledge that there's a very crucial point where the lead investigator matters in the scenario. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there are some out there mm. Mm. Um, where the lead investigator has to make a crucial test or an enemy appears on them or something like that. So it makes a real yeah. difference who we pick. So yeah. yeah, and The Gathering is the good example of that. You're teaching a new player yeah, and they've chosen to play Roland and you're playing Daisy mm-hmm. to help them and you need to pick a lead investigator. Absolutely, they're the new player. They should be the lead, but they're going to take two horror. Yes. And they're yes. going to be on three sanity. Absolutely. And yeah. you're going to be sitting there smiling on your nine sanity. Game. <laughs> better not draw a rotting remains. And, you know, that could be that could be a painful situation. I think they can make everyone discard a card, which would probably encourage them to do instead. They also take a well, they take a is a mental trauma as well, isn't there? If they burn down the house, burn yeah, down the house, yeah. So yeah, I I, I, th- I think yeah, what you said is right, and also I think unless you know the campaign very well, it's hard to make to make that decision unless it's something that really stands out. Um, yeah, as, as having as, as having a big impact, and you can change lead investigator every scenario as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So yeah. there's also that thing of, is there one particular scenario where someone needs to be lead, potentially? Like, again, for me, there's nothing jumping out as a, oh, your high agility character should lead in City of Archives, say. It it doesn't, it doesn't matter as far as I can tell. So what I end up doing is often we pick thematically. So we're playing Circle Undone, and we have Jacqueline, who's clairvoyant, so she's kind of our lead. And when we played Innsmouth recently, we had a party of Stella, Nathaniel, and Harvey. And Harvey was our lead because we decided that he was the person Thomas Dawson had approached to go investigate Innsmouth. And Nathaniel and Stella were people he'd brought along with him, sort of his crew, which is a weird crew, but there we go. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and I've noticed, in certainly in that three-player group, once we've chosen a lead investigator, we'd normally have to find a really good reason to change them again, every scenario, because normally we sort of settle into, we know the turn order then, for the we know the player order then for drawing encounter cards, and we just, we go from there. Yeah. Now, what I was going to go on and say is, yes, mm. that specific situation as picking the lead investigator, I would probably tend to agree with you, but I think the more interesting one, and, and we've named two cards here, um, we've called it the mm. Gloria effect, I've also added the first watch effect. Yeah, thanks uh, for adding that. The other key thing lead investigator determines is player order, and that determines A, what order the enemies attack, and B, probably more crucially, what order you draw Mythos cards in. Or or maybe it's not uh, impactful, maybe it's it's meaningless, I don't know. Hmm. But the Gloria effect and the First Watch effect, two cards that allow us to manipulate the player order. And for them to have worth in the game, it, it there's an implication that 
that order matters. I mean, you could say what First Watch does is, is it allows you, it's actually encounter card manipulation, so you can match encounter cards to the player. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Glor- that's, that's not how Gloria works, so maybe we'll stick with the Gloria effect. Yeah, so Gloria, the first line of her rules text is you choose the investigator order during the mythos phase. Mm-hmm. And that obviously is a pretty meaningless line if you don't know what the top three, four, however many cards of the encounter deck are. <laughs> because yeah. if I don't know what they are, I say, all right, well, Peter, you're not lead investigator, but you can have the first card. Of course, that is meant to be powerful once you know what those cards are. So you know that there's an agility treachery, a willpower treachery, and an enemy in the top three cards. And you pair those with your high agility, your high willpower, and your enemy management character if you're hoping that all three of those things are separate things. So that that supposedly is a good thing. I think it is. Yeah. So so devoid of that kind of knowledge of the encounter cards, do you think that the order you draw Mythos cards matters? Hello? It's a really tricky... It's a, I was oh, pausing right, just, to think. Yeah, <laughs> it was a long I was pause. Like, yeah, eyes up in the air, wondering. I think it's a really hard one to answer. Yes, I think it it does matter. I mean, I, there's a slightly glib answer here. It matters because what will happen is that the agility tests will end up on your low agility characters <laughs> and the wheel tests will end up on low, and you'll be cursing the encounter deck and wishing that you could change the order. Yeah. We, in that Wages of Sin play I mentioned already... Our Winnie character, who has one willpower, drew three copies of a new treachery, the name of which I can't remember. I think it's Trespass. It's um, willpower two. It gets plus one difficulty for each card in your threat area. And if you fail, take two damage or two horror. Yeah. So even if you have a clear threat area, Winnie is (laughs) one against two on it. And furious. It's a really good card, but... That, that's actually nothing really to, apart from that one decision of who was the lead investigator, mm-hmm. it's not really something we were in control of. In a way, I feel like it doesn't matter. What about you? Well, uh, there's, there's two things I'll throw in. Uh, mm. The first is that, you know, we have been in situations where, and actually I think these two are, are sort of sort of combined. You're in a situation where someone in your team has some kind of cancellation. Mm, yeah. And you want to be able to target that cancellation at whatever is going to negatively impact you the worst. Yeah, the sort of high value target. Yeah. Or maybe, you, and this is a situation we have been in, which is that, you know, um, you, you, you're right at the end of the scenario and you're fine as long as an ancient evils doesn't show up mm-hmm. or, or, or something which adds doom to the agenda. So you're you're trying to figure out like uh, how many ancient evils are going to show up. Is one or two going to show up, or what the chances of a particular person drawing them, or who should be able to do the cancellation and things like that. Mm-hmm. And in a way, having the information where you know what all of the cards are that are going to be drawn uh, before you you target the cancellation would be very useful. But it's almost like. I think this leads on to the other point I was going to say, which is that you've sort of got a limited pool of resources you can use during the mythos phase, right? 
You've got mm. the cards you've got in your hand and your money and you can commit the skill cards and stuff like that. But really you want to know uh, who's going to need the most help during the mythos phase before you make that decision. So if your most vulnerable person goes last, even if a more resistant character goes first and draws really bad treachery, you're like, well, okay, we could cancel that, but what if it gets much worse by the time it gets to, I don't know, like Finn <laughs> sitting right at the end with his low willpower? You know, you've got a difficult agility test here and you might take two damage, which is bad, but what we don't want is for Finn to be auto-killed by rotting remains when it when it crops up. Mm-hmm. So if, if you can... But then again, you know, you get around to Finn and he draws something else. He draws like an agility test. He's absolutely fine. Yeah. So it's it's that that idea of I guess like an uncertainty gradient and a kind of mm. a combined uncertainty impact gradient. You want your your characters who might be more affected to go earlier, so you have a better pool of information to work with by the time you get to the more resistant characters. Does that make any sort of sense? Y- yeah, it does. I'm thinking of another example actually, which is that I used to go first as Stella often because I didn't mind. This is actually an example that works in the opposite way. I would like to see what I hit, and if I failed a test, because then I can commit neither rain nor snow to someone in need later in the round. Yeah. If I draw something that's really going to mess me up as Stella, I need that neither rain nor snow first for me, or yeah. you know, if it's a test of will or whatever it is. And so you almost want to get through my difficulty first so that then I've got my resources in speech marks ready for other people. And I think Ward of Protection 2 works in a similar way for that. If you go last as the mystic with Ward of Protection 2, you see what everyone else draws before it gets to you. Exactly. And you can have that really... Sometimes that can be good and sometimes that can be dreadful. It can be good because you can have targeted who needed the ward before it got round to you. But then it also might mean if you then draw the card, oh, I should have kept the ward for me. <laughs> I don't think there's a right or wrong, is there? There's just a sense of who's going in the player order and what might matter for them. The other thing that came up for me as you were sh- saying that was, I can't think of a comparable example at the moment, but the Gloria effect is an interesting one because up until this point, we've had very little way of impacting, if at all, player order in Mythos phase. So apart from trying to cancel things when you have the moment, when the moment arrives, we've not really thought too much about that. I suppose the other thing we have is um, let me handle this and you handle this one and passing cards around, which certainly you handle this one sees quite a lot of play, but let me handle this probably a bit less. But it's one of those effects we didn't know how much we'd enjoy it until you try it out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, oh, I didn't think this was going to be as cool as it is. And maybe we'll see people think about cancellation a little bit differently the more Gloria sees play because she sees the top five or six cards of the encounter deck and she starts to be almost like an encounter deck sniper of finding the targets that really need cancellation. Mm. And we'll move away from that way of play of, well, I have a ward in hand. This card isn't dreadful for me. It's only going to take an action to clear, but I think I'm going to ward it anyway. Because, you know, I've got the ward in hand, it'll save me an action sort of thing, which is uh, the style of play I see more often. That's not like great play, it's just you're you're thinking, well, if I draw enemies for the next three mythoses, this ward is just going to burn a hole in my hand. Yeah. 
So yeah, there's something there about that. It's sort of an effect we didn't know how good it was. First watch is the same, right? Pairing the treacheries and and enemies to the person who wants them is a cool thing that we can't really do otherwise. (laughs) So so it's hard to compare first watch to anything because we just didn't have that ability before that. And I'd add, by the way, the other thing that's amazing about first watch is the person who plays it can deal all the cards to themselves. And that is important because the, the other way that that's manipulating the mythos phase is that two people don't even draw a card. Yeah. And that's the most often I see it, which is, it. I suppose it kind of undermines the point we're making about being able to pair the cards is important. You're like, why pair them when I can just have them all as Tommy? You know, I'll just soak the hits. Where's that left us? Well, I don't know. Going last in the mythos phase, I think. Going last, yeah. I, yeah. No, please, after you. No, no. <laughs> it, 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 it strikes me that the, the class with the most access to cancellation and potentially the most resistant to the mythos phase with both horror healing and high defensive stats for the mythos phase are mystics. Mm. It makes me think a mystic should always go last <laughs> in the mythos phase to mop up after everyone else. Yeah, yeah. But also maybe have more uncertain effects. I don't know. Mm. So they, they go first in the turn order and last in the in the play order. I don't yeah. know. I, I think maybe what we've we've what we've come to is that it's it's possibly worth that discussion. I think turn order absolutely has more of a day to day impact on how you play the game. Mm-hmm. I mm. think the, the the times in which picking your player order makes a significant difference uh, is is probably pretty rare to be yeah. to be honest with you so it's all been a pointless discussion for the past half an hour <laughs> so i think that discussion at the beginning of the of the round or after the mythos phase certainly what order should we do things what general things is everyone trying to do with their turns that feels that definitely feels worthwhile mm-hmm. and I- I think that's the right way for it to be. Imagine if you played scenarios and the decision you made when you sat down to play whose lead had long-lasting effects throughout the scenario. Mm-hmm. That could lead to some pretty negative experiences of like, ah. We should have picked we this were, an hour ago. Yeah, we should have picked this and we were really umming and ahhing about who it should be. And now it feels like we got it wrong. And I think actually lowering the impact of that decision so you can choose on theme or on experience or something like that. And you might have a player say, well, I'm a mystic, so I'll go, whoever goes lead, I'll go last. Or you might have a rogue say, look, I've got lots of you handle this. I've got two you handle this ones. Or I'm Seth, I'm going to paint loads of you handle this ones. So I'm going to go last and I'll just keep passing cards to other people once they've seen what you've drawn. Yeah, that leaving that out and then actually knowing that when you pick your turn, that that can have a real impact. And if you get your turn order wrong, it's only affecting a turn, hopefully. Ah, we should have gone with you first. But it's not a sort of long-lasting, detrimental decision you've made. So maybe what's coming up for me is that we sort of unyoke player order and turn order, and they are really two separate topics. And what order should we take our turns in, question mark? I think we've got to that idea of priority and uncertainty and you've put in another question. How can I work this to my advantage? Yes. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts on that? 
Um, I don't know. I guess if if I want anyone to take, if I want people to take one thing away from it's that the idea that the more knowledge you have, the better decision you're able to make. So so when you're about to just claim a turn and say, "Oh, I'll, I'll go next," think about what everyone else is going to be doing and what makes mm-hmm. the most sense in terms of the team for the order in which you do things. Yeah. I guess is that is that a, I don't know whether that's coherent. Like Yeah, I think that's coherent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And go back, yeah, I'm gonna play my three assets. It's like yeah. that is very low priority. Can you do it last? Yeah. yeah. I mean there's probably yeah. There will be occasions where like someone else has taken some tests, but actually the consequences of failure are pretty low. So like yeah, yeah you you're you're Clue getting character is going to investigate three times, but actually, even three failures, there's a limit to how bad that's going to be. So while they're thinking, yeah, yeah take your turn, fine. Yeah. But always have that in mind that understanding the outcome of uncertainty will allow you to make a more informed decision. Yeah, there we go. That, that's going to be my, my thought for the episode. It's very good. And we want to hear from listeners as well. What goes into your thinking about the turn? Have you, you even take? thought about it? Will, have, you, have, yeah. have we have we convinced you it's even something worth thinking about? Yeah, and you might be there going, well, we just we both decide what we're going to do. We don't tell each other, and we just get on with it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's possible as well. If that's you, write in and let us know. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Facebook, on Twitter, on Design by Humans, and on Patreon. You can come and tell us on Patreon as well if you're a patron, uh, or on our Discord, which you get access to as a patron of the cast. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Twitter and Discord and Reddit and Instagram as the.unitled and Steam and all over the place. Uh, how about you, Frank? <laughs> I'm F-E-B or F-B or Zooey Glass or Zozo around all of those places as well. Oh, thank Thanks you for very much for listening. From then on for another half hour, Dr. Makakito kept up a running fire of comment and expressed his intention of climbing some of the peaks on foot. I replied that I would join him as soon as he could send a plane, and that Franz Matthias and I would work out the best gasoline plan, just where and how to concentrate our supply in view of the expedition's altered character. Apologies to both Dr. Makakito and Franz Matthias. That's your name, correct. Thank you.